Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome again. We are really glad that all of you are here tonight. My name is Andy, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Summit Church. Um, you know, we realize that there have been a lot of new faces here over the last several weeks, and so for most of you, you really don't know me apart from that guy who does the announcements uh, each Sunday. So actually, one of the most popular questions that I often get is, what exactly do you do throughout the week? And sometimes I tell people, all week I prepare for those two or three announcements that I give. That's like my moment of glory. For three or four minutes, I'm going to be on stage and get to share, and, uh, and that's about all I do. But that's not really the case. In fact, um, this morning, actually, I received a text message from Brian, uh, one of our other pastors, and it said, uh, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to be able to come tonight. I'm really sick. You're going to have to cover. Good luck. <laughs> I was like, Oh, great. I was like, that's not good. But, you know, normally I would probably really panic when I received a text message like that and probably be freaking out right now. But the case is, um, actually, every five or six weeks, Brian and I actually swap roles. And um, I graciously allow Brian the opportunity to come up here and give the announcements for the week. And I, in turn, prepare to teach a sermon. Uh, this week, however, Brian is, in fact, sick. So he's not with us tonight. He missed his opportunity to do the announcements. We let Drew do that instead. Um, and so that's kind of what's going to happen tonight. I'm going to go ahead and teach for us. Now, um, this week is actually kind of an interesting week for me to be teaching because tonight we're going to be talking about fighting. And if you've been here for any length of time and you've heard Brian speak a lot, you know, he's always using these soldier metaphors from his time at the Naval Academy. He's always using these like really competitive sports analogies from all his sports that he played. You know, he's like basketball all-star, uh, baseball all-star, football all-star. So he's got all these great analogies that he, he can always use. Now me, <laughs> like the most competitive sport that I ever played, the most combative sport that I ever really participated in high school was like the swim team, where there are literally lanes, like dividing you from touching other athletes, ensuring that you're never going to have any amount of conflict with anybody else. So like, that's kind of my background. So it's kind of ironic that I'm actually sharing uh, about this tonight and talking about fighting. But this week, as I've been thinking about fighting a lot, you know, I like to think that I'm not a complete wimp. You know, I grew up with three brothers. Uh, you guys know some of them, Matt and Sam. Sam just led worship a few minutes ago. He really showed our East Tennessee roots right there with uh, that last song. That was kind of cool. But, um, you know, I grew up with three brothers, and, you know, we fought and wrestled all the time, so I like to think of myself not as a complete wimp, um, but as I spent more and more time thinking about fighting this week, uh, I began to think to myself, was there ever a time outside of the house, outside of wrestling with Matt and Sam, was there ever a time that I got in a fight? And I realized that the closest that I ever got to a school fight was in the third grade. I was in the third grade, I was at Lawson Elementary School, and I was waiting in line outside of the cafeteria when all of a sudden Danny Motzenbacher came up to me, and he looked at me straight in the eye, and he punched me as hard as he could, right in the stomach, and I did absolutely nothing <laughs> except bend over and start crying my eyes out. That's all I did. Like, I sat there, I cried, and I couldn't believe he did it. I'm not even sure why he did that, even to this day. I don't know why I did it, but I, I was thinking about that this week, and you know, I was, I was thinking more and more about Danny Matzenbacher, and I was like, whatever happened to that guy? You know, like, whatever happened to a person like that? Like, what, what's that kind of like the path that he took? And so naturally, like, where do you go anytime you want to figure out what happens to a person like that? Where do you go? Facebook, Facebook. yeah, you go to Facebook. So I went to Facebook, I, I stalked his profile, I found him, like, looked through all of his pictures, and, uh, and then I decided, you know what, although I'm never going to be able to avenge the defeat of the third grade against Danny Matzenbacher, I can send him a Facebook message. So that's what I did. I was like, dear Danny Matzenbacher, like, you probably don't remember me. We went to elementary school together, 
in the third grade, you punched me in the stomach. I did nothing about it. And that is the biggest regret in my life. Sincerely, Andy Metzger. That's what I wrote to him. And uh, I'm still waiting to hear back from him. I haven't heard anything yet. But <laughs> um, that's the closest that I ever got to getting in a fight. Um, now, you know, like when we think about stories like that, probably like a lot of you can look back and you might have stories like that. You kind of remember like, you know, like humorous things. That you might have a D- Danny Matzenbacher in your life. Some of you probably were the Danny Matzenbachers to somebody else and people like you I kind of despise. But, um, you know, we all realize like that's kind of the case. And, uh, you know, we think about things like that. And as I've gotten older, though, one of the things I've realized myself personally, and probably a lot of you can relate to, one of the things I've realized as I've gotten older and my perspective has widened a little bit, that in life, in life, it's not a question of if we will be a fighter, but it's what in life we will be fighting for. That's what I've realized in life. As you get older, I realize that it's not a question of if we will be a fighter, but what we will be fighting for. And that is exactly what Paul is going to be discussing tonight. That's exactly the message that he is giving us, the paradigm that he is thinking through as he writes this letter in this portion, because he knows it's not a question of if you will be a fighter, but what you will be fighting for. And Paul's going to say to us, metaphorically speaking, he's going to say, you need to realize that we are in war. We are in war, and every day is a battle. And and if you don't believe this, and if you don't really, you know, whether you recognize it or not, you need to be aware that every day is a battle, and you are going to be either a soldier, you are going to be an enemy, or you're going to be a victim in this war based upon the decisions that you make. And the decisions that you make are either going to lead you to life or they're going to lead you to death. And that's the reality of what Paul is saying, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. And we're going to show you the decisions that can lead to life. So tonight we're going to be looking in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start in verse 14. Starting in verse 14, it says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid a reverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Now, you know, for the last few weeks, many of you know, we've been talking about this legacy that Paul's encouraging us to lead and leave. He's, he's talking about this legacy. And, and you know, last week especially, he's, he talked about the legacy of multiplying your life, literally passing on to the next generation the most important things, the most important things in life. You have to pass on. And that's what he's telling you. And he's going to relentlessly hammer this message over and over and over. You do not need to be shamed. You do not need to be ashamed of Jesus. You need to be bold. You need to declare this message with confidence. You need to rest in Christ. These are the things that he's telling Timothy, and he's pleading with us to remember. Pass that on. But it's really interesting because in the middle of this warning, in the middle of this plea, he's going to give us a warning, and he's going to say, wait one second. You need to realize something. You need to be very, very aware of something because because if you do this, If you proclaim this message, if you actually pass on this message from generation to generation, if this legacy does continue, this is what's going to happen. You are going to grow. Okay? You're going to grow. Your church is going to grow. Your organization is going to grow. You're going to grow larger in size. You're going to grow larger in your faith. Your community is just going to grow in all different types of ways. But you need to realize something. You need to be on guard. You need to be aware because something weird is going to happen. Something almost backwards and confusing is going to happen because when you do grow, you are going to have the temptation 
to fight against your own team. That's what's going to happen. You're going to grow, and you're going to have the temptation to fight against your own team. And what you need to realize is that that temptation is going to be so real in your lives, and if you disregard that and if you ignore that temptation, you're going to lead towards death. Now, as I've been thinking about that this week, one of the things I realized that this has probably been most vivid to me in my own life um, with my relationship with Angela. Once we got married, I began to understand how real this principle can be. Now, I love marriage. I love my wife. Um, but one of the things I realized that I, I can often fall into this same trap. For example, uh, last week, Angela and I went on a bike ride. Uh, we went through City Park, and we were biking around the lake. We biked through some of the neighborhoods around there. Uh, we were having a great afternoon. And then Angela said to me, hey, I'm really getting kind of hungry. And for me, I interpreted that as, okay, like, let's eventually make our way back towards the house. Now, the problem with that is when Angela says, hey, I'm really hungry, that means if I don't get food in my stomach right now, things are going to get ugly, okay? That's exactly what she means by that. I didn't really interpret it like that, so, you know, I start slowly kind of turning back towards our house, and I, I may or may not make some, like, indirect scenic routes towards our house, and maybe some detours along the way, and eventually we came to that tipping point. Like, we came to that point where Angela, like, made that remark to me about what I was doing, and I responded with something rude to her, and then she's upset, and then I'm mad, and then she's like no longer biking alongside me, but she's biking 100 yards behind me, and I'm like, fine, forget it, I don't even care, like, you can bike back there, I'm going to keep going on, and then like we finally make it home, and we're fuming at each other, we walk inside, and in that moment, I realize I have a choice, okay, because like, we're both ticked at each other, I know there's, a, there's about to be an argument to be had, and I realize in that moment, I have a choice to make. I can default to my natural way of fighting which is going to be, I'm going to debate this to the grave. You know, I'm going to show you all the reasons why you're wrong and I am right. And give me a whiteboard and we'll be here for 48 minutes. And I'll outline all the reasons why. I mean, I can, in a matter of seconds, I can build just a, a great argument for anything, whether I know I'm wrong or right. I'm, I'll do that. And we'll go and we'll go at it. And then, you know what I've realized about that? Like when I'm, when I'm arguing with my spouse, when I'm arguing with my wife, like no one wins, do they? You know, it sounds like common sense when I say it up here. It sounds like really common sense when we talk about, like, getting in a fight because of a bicycle ride. But, like, in the moment, it's never common sense, is it? But in those moments, like, when I'm arguing with my wife, I have to realize that when I prove her wrong, like, I'm really just proving us wrong. When she loses, we both lose. That's the nature of conflict within a marriage or any other type of relationship like that. That is exactly what Paul is going to say. He's saying, in your church, as your church grows, as conflict arises, as there's all types of controversy that may or may not appear, you're going to have a tendency, just like you have in your family, to fight with those people who are closest to you, to have those kind of conflicts with those people who are dearest to you. You're going to have the tendency to fight against the team. And you have to beware, when you're fighting against the team, no one is going to win. And so, that, you know, that's kind of like the reality with us, and that's kind of like the reality when I, when I think about those arguments that we have. And, and I realize that um, when, when Paul talks about the church, when he talks about this tendency for us to fight against the team, he actually gives us a really vivid picture. He says, this is going to be like a disease. You've got to realize, he uses that language, it's going to be like a disease. If you look in verse 17, their talk will spread like gangrene. Literally, this is going to attack your body and spread, sucking the life out of you until you're doing surgery and removing limbs. That's what's going to happen if, you have to, if you're fighting amongst yourselves, if you're fighting against God's team. 
If you're fighting within the church, you've got to realize this is like a disease that has gone viral and no one is immune to that temptation. No one is immune to that temptation. And, you know, for some of you, like some of you probably like really resonate with that. If you're married, especially if you're dating someone, you probably resonate. Like, yeah, we've had those ridiculous fights. We've had those arguments that have led nowhere where we're fighting against each other. You know, so spouses, like you got to think when your spouse is being unreasonable and unfair and ridiculous and bullheaded, not that my wife is ever any of those things, but in those moments, you have to realize if you fight against your own team, you're going to lose. You know, some of you have roommates, some of you share houses. You have to realize when your roommates are leaving those dishes everywhere all the time, like when they're throwing those late night parties, when you're just so sick of the way that, how thoughtless that they can be, you've got to realize in those moments, when you're fighting against your team, you're going to lose. Even in the church, you know, when, when, when you don't like the way we teach, when you don't like the things that we preach, when you don't like some of the decisions that we make as a church, if, you, if you're fighting, if you're quarreling against that, you have to realize that in the end, we're all going to lose. That is exactly what Paul is pleading with us, to not fight against the team. And we realize that if we do, it's like a disease that has gone viral and no one is immune You've got to think about this. What, what happens here is that God puts together a church. Okay, God puts together a church. God puts together a family. God puts together a marriage. God puts together relationships. And, and whether you, you believe it or not, whether you want to buy into this or not, Satan wants to tear those apart. I mean, that's just, the, that's just the way it is. Satan wants to divide those things. Satan wants to conquer in those things. Satan wants to ruin those relationships. And no one is immune to the temptation to fight against their own team. No one is. You're not immune to it. 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 No one is immune to it. I'm not immune to it. Brian's not immune to it. All of us are capable of allowing Satan to work through us to attack the team. And Paul is going to plead with us. He's going to say, please protect your team. Do not fight against your own team. And from there, it's actually really helpful what Paul does because he goes on and he gives us an illustration. Okay, a lot of times, you know, Paul will give us these profound thoughts and we look at them and say, like, okay, that seems really profound and complicated, but I'm not exactly sure what to do with that. Does anyone ever read the Bible like that? Like they read something and they're like, okay, that's probably really important. I'm just not exactly sure what it means. Kind of like when you go into a museum sometimes, like you look at artwork and you look at that and you're like, wow, that looks really good, but I don't know why it's here. You know, I don't really understand it. Well, that's kind of exactly what happens, um, you know, and Paul is actually gracious enough to explain away exactly what he's talking about. And what he's going to actually tell us is that the way God looks at us is often the same way that we look at utensils in our home. Okay, so look at verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me there. It says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every work, good work. Now, if you think about this, if you were to come into my house, specifically, if you were to come into my kitchen, what you're going to find is a number, a number of different types of bowls, okay? You're going to find cereal bowls, you're going to find soup bowls, you're going to find fruit bowls, you're going to find mixing bowls, you're going to find salad bowls, all different types of bowls, right? Now, just a few steps away from our kitchen is our bathroom. And you could move from our kitchen into our bathroom, and you're going to find another type of bowl in there, aren't you? What kind of bowl? You're going to find a 
Toilet bowl, great. Yeah, you're going to find a toilet bowl in there. Now, like what Paul is saying is you cannot confuse the two here. So like, if you were to come over to my house one night and I invited you over for dinner, and as you walked in, I'm like tossing a salad in our toilet bowl, and like, I'm like, yeah, hey, come on in. We're, we're almost ready. Dinner, dinner's almost served. You're going to be like, what the heck is wrong with these people? These people are crazy. Like They're tossing their salads in their toilet. The bowls have been confused. But what Paul is saying is you've got to realize, whether you realize it or not, whether you're aware of this or not, you're going to be one of these bowls. Okay, you're either going to be set apart. You're either going to be looked at as cleansed. You're either going to be made new, and God is going to look at you and say, this I can use. This I can use. Or he can't. You're going to either be taken off the shelf. You're going to be declared pure and clean and holy and useful. Or you're not. And the difference, the difference is Jesus. The difference is what you decide to do about Jesus. Because there's no question what Jesus has already decided to do here. Okay? The question is what you will decide to do with Jesus. Because there's no question what Jesus has already decided to do here. In Denver especially. All over this city. Are you aware of this? All over this city. Jesus is already at work here. He is rescuing men and women from meaningless, empty, idolatrous lives. He is bringing justice to those people who have been wronged. He is bringing hope to those people who are poor. He is bringing strength to the weary. Jesus is at work building a new and greater city within the city, filled with men and women whose lives have been radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit so that they can proclaim what Jesus has done. They can worship him as king. And their identity, their lives, their entire, entire being is built on that. And what Jesus says is, that is my mission. That is the battle that I am a part of. That is the mission I have after men and women's hearts and souls. And you are either useful to me in this battle or you're not. You're either useful to me in this mission or you are not. And the good news, the good news about that is that Jesus is so eager He is so eager to make you useful, to make you clean and pure and holy and invite you into that mission. Jesus is so eager to do that. No one is beyond that. No one is beyond that, regardless of your past, regardless of what you have done, regardless of what you are doing now, regardless of what you think of yourself, regardless of how jacked up and dirty you might feel. The most glorious thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he comes to every single one of us with an invitation to trust him. He comes to us with an offer to repent from our sin. He comes to us with the opportunity to be held by God himself as a vessel that is clean, that is pure, that is holy, and that is useful. And the decision that you make, the decision you choose what to do with Jesus is going to make all the difference and how he views you. Now Paul ends this chapter with an exhortation. He ends this chapter with an exhortation. If you look in verse 22, basically he's going to give us a word of encouragement that will compel us to action. He's going to say in verse 22, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 
have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You know, outside of um, this picture of the Christian life being a fight, one of the most prevalent pictures that we see in the Bible is the Christian life being a race. Okay, we see this type of language used all the time. The Christian life is a race. This is like one big race that we're all in it, whether we realize it or not. And, uh, and Paul is going to plead with you. He's going to say there's certain things in this race that you need to run from and certain things that you need to run to. Okay, we see that language a lot. There are things that you run from and things that you run to. Those things that we run from, those are things that lead to our death and our destruction. That's why we run from them. Verse 22, if you look at it, it says, run from youthful passions. Verse 23, run from foolish, ignorant controversies. Verse 24, run from quarrels. These things all lead to death. These things all lead to destruction. So therefore, we run to those things that bring life. We run to those things that connect us to Jesus, not separate us from Jesus. We run to righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now here's the key. If you look at those words that follow there, look again in verse 22. Everyone look with me. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Here's the number one rule for those who are running in that race. You don't run alone. Okay, you don't run alone. Paul is saying in this race, you don't run by yourself. If you do, you're going to fail miserably. You don't run by yourself because if you do, you're going to trip and fall and no one's going to be there to help you out. Just a few weeks ago, Angela and I were uh, judging a CrossFit competition. We love to do CrossFit. It kicks our butt like every week, but we do it anyways. And um, a few weeks ago, we were at a competition and we were judging uh, some athletes. And the final event of this competition was that all the athletes had to run a mile. And this is after like working out all day, doing all these really intense things. And they have to run a mile and there's all these different heats. Now, they're running through, like, the neighborhoods of the highlands, running through some of these back alleys. And to be honest, like, the course was just not marked very well at all. And so they're running the race. Now, here's the interesting thing that happened in almost every single heat. Typically, all the runners go out, and they're running, and all the, like, some of the best competitors, they're all running as a pack. You know, they know that they need to stick together. They're running together in a pack. Now, every once in a while, what happened was you'd see a runner jolt out in front, and he's going to jolt out in front. He's going to try to take the lead. He's going to keep going. What happened was, as he jolted out from the pack, and as he kept running, he came to a point where he was running straight, and everybody else turned to the right down the alley towards the finish line. This happened almost every single time. You saw one guy running ahead, and then everyone else turns, and everyone's else yelling to him, hey, come back, come back, come back. And then what happens to that guy? He falls from his position. He loses the first place. He's no longer in the lead because he went out, thought he could do it by himself, and he made a really bad mistake. Okay? Now, it's funny when you like, think about all these competitive athletes and just like, you know, it's not that hard to make the right turn, but this guy kept going. But what Paul is pleading with us is saying, Please, you have to do this in community. You cannot run the, the race. You cannot fight the fight. You cannot pursue Jesus and find life without this community. And so he's going to encourage us. He's going to challenge us. He's going to tell us you have to do this with other people. And the powerful thing about this is that we realize as a church 
when together as a community of people we begin to pursue Jesus, we realize that it is unstoppable. It is amazing to see what happens when together as a community we all come and we pursue Jesus as one. Now, many of you in this room, I realize, are Christians. Many of you are not Christians. A lot of us are like across the board, and that's great. When I tell you, like, we are so excited that there are people who come each week that we realize don't agree with what we teach. They don't agree with what we believe. And, you know, if that's you tonight, let me just say, like, thank you so much for being here. Like, we're so excited that you're here tonight. You know, if you have questions, you kind of disagree, maybe, maybe you're just in that position where you're kind of skeptical right now and you realize, you know, there's some things I believe. I'm not really sure about the Bible. I'm not really sure about the Jesus thing. And we would just say, man, we're so glad that you're here with us. We want you to know that we believe that there is nothing greater than the community of Jesus that we have pursuing the love that he has given us. And for that, we are eternally grateful. And so for some of you who are Christians, some of you who would say, yeah, Andy, I've been a Christian for a long time. Like, I, I identify with Jesus. I pursue Jesus. I love Jesus. This is really good news. This is really good news for you because in these last verses, what we see is God graciously warning us God is graciously warning us, telling us that there is a very real battle occurring right now. Whether you're aware of it or not, whether you recognize it, whether you choose to believe it or not, there is a very real battle that is occurring right now. And Satan is doing everything he can to capture you, to capture your minds, to capture your marriages, to capture your relationships, to capture our church The great news is that we do have a heavenly father. We have Jesus that is protecting us and fighting for us and defending us. And he's inviting for those of you who follow Jesus, those of you who identify with Jesus, those of you who follow God, he's saying, you are invited into this mission. You are invited into this mission to proclaim my goodness to everyone, to reflect my kindness to everyone. And for those of you who are saying, yeah, I'm just not there yet. I'm not really sure what I believe about this. And the whole idea of fighting this fight or running this race, and I, I don't know what I, to think about God and the Bible. I just want to let you know that the Summit Church is a safe place. The Summit Church is a place where you can ask questions. The Summit Church is a place where you can disagree. And in the end, you need to realize that it is our greatest joy as the Summit Church, to comfort you, to love you, and to protect you. Because that is what it means to follow and to fight for Jesus. Pray with me now. Father in heaven, we are incredibly grateful for all that you do for us. Father, we're grateful for what you are doing in our city as we see you rescuing men and women. We see you giving purpose to people's lives Father, we realize that there are so many people that are hurting. There are so many people who are lonely. There are so many people, even in this room right now, Father, we realize there are many people in this room who just desperately desire to be part of a community that have meaningful relationships with people. They desire people to love them, to care for them. God, I pray that we can be that church. I pray that we can be the church for those people who disagree, the church for people right now who have questions, who are skeptical. Lord, I pray for those people as they leave tonight, as 
Maybe they go out to dinner with us as they go through their weeks and they're just thinking, I want to be part of something bigger than myself. I want to be part of a community that is actually meaningful. Lord, I pray for those people. I pray for the people in our church that follow you already. Lord, I pray that they will continue to participate in your mission and reflecting your kindness to a city that is in desperate need of you, in desperate need of redemption, in desperate need of hope and love. God, we're incredibly thankful for the way that you continue to change us, to love us, to care for us, to protect protect us, and to fight on behalf of us. Lord, I pray that tonight as we leave, the Holy Spirit will continue just to not let us go without answering some of those questions. Not let us go without really evaluating and examining examining some of the priorities in our life. God, I pray that you'll continue to teach us and guide us and draw us to you because we know and we proclaim that your love is better than life. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.